0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I want to talk about fads. But first, I would like to thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. Are you tired of searching for trained technicians? If so, let Napa Auto Tech help you build a technician through their Build-A-Tech program, kind of like a Build-A-Bear. These three-day courses cover one of four individual topics, brakes, electrical, steering and suspension, or HVAC, through a combination of classroom lecture, hands-on, and utilizing training mock-ups. Visit NapaAutotech.com. So I was thinking about this the other day when talking to a colleague, just kind of about what's popular right now, that being probably ADOS calibration specifically but ados and a mobilizer maybe like eprom they're kind of all the rage in a way kind of started catching myself dismissing it or being dismissive of it and thinking about it i think in a way that's a mistake like it's too easy to think about them as just being fads just kind of all the rage right now and then they'll die out and then it'll be something new and shiny Something with EV, Pico, just released a, a new piece of equipment for testing electric motors, a milli meter, and maybe that'll lead to the next rage. And I don't even mean that to sound, again, dismissive or condescending. But over time, you start seeing these things come and go. But I got to level with you. I was just kind of thinking about it on the way home and at home, and fads have... Some major benefits. The latest rage has some really, really big benefits to us. Primarily, we're talking about technicians, right? At the technician level, I don't think it would be limited to that. There could be other stuff with, I guess, other positions within the company ownership. You know, maybe coaches were all the rage. In some cases, they probably should be all the rage. Getting out and going to certain events as business owners, as managers to, to learn more and more. That's kind of wasn't a thing. Then it's a thing. Then it kind of wasn't a thing. And now it might be a thing again, especially with the lack of talent. So almost by necessity, it's driven from a techs perspective. I was not in an auto repair shop at least until, I mean, really the late, late nineties, early two thousands. And I mean, we will just go with the late nineties as Really when I started and by then, like the big box analyzer thing had kind of passed. I would have to believe that for a while, I mean, maybe even starting in the late 70s, going into throughout the 80s, the big box analyzers were where it's at for multiple reasons. One, having that big piece of equipment with the backlighting and the printouts, especially in the later generation ones to present clients was a way of showing or displaying generating value, you know, another way to charge for inspections for diagnostics. Like I can remember the one sun machine, and I think multiple ones did it, so it's not limited to one, but specifically the MCA would have this complete test, and it would go through some stuff with battery current, starter current, charging system voltage and current, and then it would look at the primary and secondary ignition for certain characteristics like KVs and even oscillations turn off oscillations and stuff like that. It would show up on this printout. It would also have at the bottom where you as a technician would go through and check mark these things, almost like a very early version of a DVI, a digital vehicle inspection, where you would check the lights. Are the lights good? Check yes or no. Wipers, stuff like that. And clients or motorists, car owners, customers, literally thought the machine talked to the car to find out that the wipers were bad. The wiper blades needed replacing. And I think that was a fad for a while, like that's kind of something a lot of shops sought out. And the heavy hitters were ones built by Sun, another company named Bear, another one, Allen Test Products was another one. And I'm, I'm sure I'm missing others and it's not even all that important other than the cost of them really forced shop owners and managers to charge for time and time using that piece of equipment, that was probably like the first fad that I could think of. Uh, And that's really just kind of hearing it from other shop owners and older techs that have since retired, that that was a big deal to get that thing, put it on as many cards as they could. When I was coming in, I feel like the rage was lab scopes or digital storage oscilloscopes or oscilloscopes of some fashion, which the big box analyzers would have had anyways. Some of them were analog, some of them digital. I'm trying to think of any of them had technically both. I can think of one that had both a analog scope for maybe like ignition. Because if you guys have ever looked at ignition, specifically like distributor ignition on an analog scope, they're almost beautiful. Very few things compete with it. Uh, And we can mimic that with the uh, Picoscope. We can kind of put it in an analog intensity mode and it mimics that and it's going to pick out whatever problems you're going to see in the secondary regardless. But the analogs were just beautiful. And then I think the MCA was probably the first digital one that comes to mind. And then it had, it was essentially a two-channel lab scope or oscilloscope, if you will. You could test other things. Now, they didn't really... I don't recall offhand, at least on the machine itself, them talking about testing injectors or you know TCC solenoids or whatever we can think up. Mixture control solenoids, probably, which would be mounted inside of a carburetor. Some of you are probably wondering what a carburetor is. It was it worked. We'll put it that way, but a way that they could, could control within a fairly narrow window fuel delivery was this with this mixture control solenoid. I think in the Sun books. They would put out these massive books, tons of information. They probably would go into it like that or or go into it in those. But that was one of the big fads was when I came in was scopes, lab scopes. And the heavy hitters really were probably the MasterTech had a scope built in. The MasterTech was a scan tool built by Vitronics, which has since been bought out by Bosch. And then you had another, the Sun, LS2000, which I think was uh, eventually kind of rebadged as a UEI 7400, if I remember right. There was a MAC scope that was a rebadged Tektronic scope and I honestly have no idea what that model number is. It was black and kind of rectangular. I think it had a bad reputation as being kind of noisy along with like the LS2000 but a lot of that had to do with just scope specs, which uh, we t- kind of discussed a little bit back in uh, episode 51. We cover a little bit more about that type of stuff. But yeah, it, having those handheld scopes, uh, OTC had a scope called the Vision. Matco, or really it was an Intero scope. So really Intero built it. OTC had what they called the Vision. Matco had what they had an Insight and that was kind of the first scope in a shop I had. Now when I went to Tech college, my two-year program, we stole an analog scope from the uh, we had a band instrument repair course there, so we raided their test equipment and stole one of the analog scopes. When I went to my third year, that's when I got really introduced to scopes, hard. and then the real the popular one up there was the fluke. 97 which was known as the grand piano because of all the buttons on it and that was thought of as being just super strong and you know it had a really really high sample rate but it had some other issues that in retrospect didn't make it the best choice but you know you started scoping everything literally everything anything you could hook that up to you were scoping and it was kind of all the rage and kind of building this case that because of that rage, because of that fad, there is so many articles in the trade magazines. So Motor Age, Motor, there's a magazine called Motor Service. I think Underhood Service would have been out by then every week, or maybe not every week, but for sure every once a month, but you probably get them what seemed like every week a different magazine. There'd be an article or two about using a scope, scope this, scope that, scoping injectors. Underhood Service Magazine had a regular feature, if you will, called Diagnostic Dilemmas, and that is how I learned about John Thornton. And he would write in there regularly using his Tektronix scope, which i had never seen before in my life. Uh, I ended up buying one, you know, of course, timing, (laughs) timing, be it what it is, fully capable, excellent scope, handheld, two channels, very, very fast, very high bandwidth for what we were doing. It was probably about the time I should have bought a Pico, it would have been an older one not the case if you will the scope case would have been you know white or off-white and you needed to plug them into a, a voltage source so 12 volt battery or a, use a wall adapter they're a 212 series if you get really bored and want to look into them but that's probably what i should have bought but i didn't really know about them until later and not that much later because about the time i had started really interacting with John is when I really started interacting on IATN and learning all this stuff about more about scopes and scan tools and all that. For 98 years, the NAPA name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. NAPA has the solution by making NAPA Auto Tech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction. No matter the technician or service advisor skill level, this instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE-certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technicians' knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your text to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, NAPA Autotech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of NAPA Auto tech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, NAPA Autotech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Auto Tech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. That was a big rage, slab scopes. And then shortly after that, we had low amp current probes. High amp current probes weren't really that unknown. We had them on all the big box analyzers, right? That's what they used for the uh, relative compression tests. They would watch battery current while cranking, and the machine on some of them would disable coil primary. So the coil wouldn't fire and then you would crank it over for however long it told you to. That would give you a percentage, usually a contribution from each cylinder, not amps, not voltage or anything like that. It was divided up in 2%. But low amp current probes were kind of something new. The very first one I can remember people really using was a Fluke, ADI-110S. I mean, we're talking, geez, for sure 25 years ago, maybe 30 you know, thirty be a little far back for me, but for sure, I guess twenty five. That they were already like a three four hundred dollar probe, and in retrospect, they suffered from like temperature drift stuff like that. But they were, I mean, that was the best of the best at the time. There was not a uh, PDI probe or a more lower cost probe that I knew of. But again, it was all the rage, and so there's all kinds of information coming out articles. This is when the internet really starts taking off. There was a website called currentprobe.com ran by a gentleman by the name of Jeff Bach, who was a freaking genius, an absolute genius tech. And he had this website, currentprobe.com. And man, I spent a lot of time on that website reading and I'd read the same article over and over the same case study over and over and over. And he didn't have a fluke current probe. He had something else. I'm not even sure what it was. I, I don't even want to pretend to guess what it was. But he had so many case studies using the current probe and looking at ignition, looking at coil current, looking at fuel pump current. So that was another rage, fuel pump current. We're going to look at the level. We're going to look at the frequency or the RPM of the fuel pumps The people were building databases. These fads were are super important, it turns out, in retrospect, because if you jump on that bandwagon... And I don't mean just like jumping on a bandwagon and being all rah, 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 go, current probes, go. But I want to learn how to do this. I want to buy a current probe and I want to be able to use it. So, you know, do I have a lab scope yet? No. All right, what lab scope can I get? What can I afford? What's, where do I get one? You know, I heard Snap-ons coming out with something new called the Modus or something like that. And they also had like the Vantage Pro coming out. The Vantage before that it's a terrific, terrific test tool. I would, for the most part, recommend even using it instead of a digital multimeter because of the graphing, the power of the graphing, and just the flexibility of use. But the display itself was somewhat of a hindrance. It was so just, I don't want to say inaccurate, but it was very, very you know large pixels, if you will. It was very low definition. If you're trying to use that thing like a lab scope, you're using it wrong. So that I mean that's just the the way it is. It wasn't really built for that. You can still pick these things up on you know Facebook Marketplace, maybe Craigslist, eBay from time to time in really good shape. They run on two big D batteries. Batteries last forever. You know, if you're looking for something instead of a you know or looking to get another multimeter, I would take a good look at one of those. You know, if, spend a little bit more, or maybe look at a Vantage Pro. There really isn't anything out there that's the same. I mean, the closest is, is probably the Curian. But the needing to know how to do this stuff, wanting to know how to do this stuff, reading these articles by the John Thorntons. Uh, there's another, uh, I think he was a shop owner, really, but he worked on the cars too. It might've been a one-man operation. And I think he wrote for Motor Age, Usually in the way back, they'd have like one article in the way back with a case study. If I remember it, his name was Kevin Carpenter. He had some really good case studies, really good ones using scopes. I mean, that was the big way to learn about this stuff was reading the articles in the trade magazines and then a little bit more and more on I the internet, You know, mainly ITN. And because you wanted to join this group or this fad, to become a part of this fad, you had to learn about it. And that made you better. Learning about a lab scope, how to use it, when to use it, why to use it, immediately made you better. Buying a current probe, learning how to use it, why to use it, when to use it, made you better. I mean, almost immediately. And then you had even the little battles. They're really good to read and follow between really, really, really smart techs who didn't really use scopes versus the ones that did. Like a prime example would be who we know, Jim Wilson, who works for Standard Motor Products, just an absolute, absolute genius, was a GM dealer tech. Scopes really aren't in their world. He did have a sun machine, and then he had a fluke meter that was a fluke graphing meter that he used instead of really a scope. And he had a lot of really neat stuff that he didn't need or would would show why he really didn't feel like he needed a lot of this detail that others were using their lab scopes for and really picking apart. He didn't need that. And he, he would explain why. You read it. It made you better. His thought process made you better. The others with how they're picking things apart, how they're thinking about it, made you better. And after current probes, specifically low amp current probes, I might have to think about this a while, what the next fad would have been the next fad after that really would be probably pressure transducers. There's a vacuum transducer. I'm almost positive it was an EMS. And I think if I go look through a toolbox, I think I still have one. But all it was was a vacuum transducer. If we opened it up and looked in the guts, I think it was a Mitsubishi map sensor, what it used. So we're looking at vacuum waveforms, which was nothing new. If you listen to the uh, Town Hall Academy with CARM and the uh, Remarkable Results Radio. It'll be episode, it's episode THA for Town Hall Academy 321. And uh, John Rogers, who, if you don't know, is an absolute stellar mobile diagnostic tech. We are talking about one of the big box analyzers, the Allen test products, the SEA, which is, I think, the smart, smart engine analyzer. That did vacuum testing. Uh, I did it really well. I think some of the Sun machines did as well, but I don't think they did it nearly as well as the SCA. So vacuum testing was nothing really new with a scope. The EMS was kind of one of the first things I remember. And then the uh, Fluke had a PV350. The PV350 back then was much better than the one that they have now for what we use it for. And the thing is, is some of those pressure transducers were never designed to be used in a system or environment where the pressure went above and below atmospheric, if you will, rapidly or at all. That's not what they were designed for. They were built for slower transitions and, or just not cycling above and below. But the, the old PV350 actually did a really, really nice job and you got to see that used in the cylinder. The first time I ever saw that, was in an Underhood Service magazine article by John Thornton, using it on a um, a vehicle where he was kind of researching it, researching this use of taking cam timing, moving it, you know, off one tooth at a time, and looking at these waveforms, and it was fascinating. It was, I kid you not, I must have read that article a hundred. Probably isn't even enough. It's it was probably three hundred times at least. that's not even exaggerating. That's how wild it was and interesting. And so we had the PV350. That was kind of the dominant one for a while. Uh, ATS came out with some, Pico came out with the WPS and they were, well, just, I don't think we have to be overly technical with like strain gauge or anything, but they were really more like gauge type of transducers, not necessarily absolute uh, or not absolute and then um there was another company Senex that came out with something called the first look sensor and that became wildly popular it still really is others now have released products that do very similar things and they're quite good get them in your favorite color they're amazing to have in your arsenal but They are different where they don't really measure gauge pressure. They look at pressure change. But that became very popular, especially using it in the intake or in the exhaust. Some people tried them in cylinder, didn't work out so hot. But it was interesting to see what would happen. Another rage though. So imagine this rabbit hole. If you jump on the pressure transducer wagon that you've now invested in, whichever pressure transducer it was, it didn't matter and trying to figure out what it was telling you when to use it why to use it what is it telling you instantly made you a better tech i mean instantly i can't tell you how many people i've met they were very interested in pressure transducers even starting to use them and a lot of these techs were engine builders like they knew cam specs and all that and still kind of have their mind blown where evo occurred at on that pressure transducer waveform EVO being the exhaust valve opening, which maybe maybe we can do an episode about some basic pressure transducer stuff or in-cylinder stuff. There's a little-known trainer out there we could probably invite on and might talk to us about it. Huh. It's Brandon something. I can't I'll have to look up his last name. Yeah, it's Steckler. Brandon Steckler. Brandon is a friend, friend of the podcast, friend of mine. He's been on the podcast before. He'd probably rather be on and talk about something technical for once. But just thinking about that, because of that fad, you have a whole group of techs wanting to learn, learning, and instantly getting better. And now we have, you know, with like a mobilizer, an EEPROM, a whole different world than what we're normally accustomed to dealing with. It's a whole another skill set or evolution of your skill sets. And it definitely definitely new equipment. There's a lot of equipment. But it is what it is. Ados, same thing there wasn't much else like that learning about Ados, the cameras the radars calibrating them changing maybe how our shops were laid out or expanding our shops or renting leasing buying s- separate facilities specifically set up to be able to do the calibrations properly maybe the next thing will be the the EV electric motor testing which honestly isn't that new in and of itself because of hybrids right we had hybrids way back i don't know even way back but you know the gen 1 prius there's a tool called the all test that some people were buying already to test these three-phase motors and um looking at what they have now uh there's still the all test is available certainly been upgraded uh, it's extremely expensive extremely expensive which kind of makes this uh pico tool kind of exciting considering what it does what it can do and for the price point it's kind of mind-blowing and then another to kind of start wrapping this thing up i don't know if it was quite ever reached rage levels but definitely interest in noise vibration harsh, harshness nvh and all the different nvh tools out there you know we have ones that run just on your cell phone and of course you have the pico you have the ats that there's Equipment out there to help us narrow down noises and vibrations better than just our butt sensors. So that forces us to learn what orders are: first order, second order, third order. That whole new world, you know. And I think for a while, the most the most we would really deal with is maybe some hose clamps on a drive shaft. Yeah, balancing tires. You know, you were really big time if you had a road force balancer and testing for and compensating for radio force variation so yeah you know what fads have a place and they have a lot of benefits and so i almost urge you guys that when a fad comes maybe join in even if you're not gonna buy up all the stuff to do it learn about it take advantage of all the information that starts getting generated because of it because of these fads i would just like to thank everyone for listening and thank once again napa auto tech training for sponsoring the aftermarket radio network for really making this all possible if you guys have topics that come to mind that you would like to hear about or participate in please don't hesitate to reach out to me i'm pretty easy to get a hold of via social media you can email me at matt at gmail.com and if you're listening to this on youtube please give it a like and until next time take care You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.